0: Coming to you on January 28th, 2024. Coming to you on a football Sunday, but we're going to be talking all things NBA. Coming to you at halftime of the Chiefs versus the Ravens game. The Chiefs have a 10-point lead going into halftime. And we have some really great NBA action that we can talk about because we've hit a point that we hit last season, and it's here again. And that's the individual statistics scoring boom in the NBA. On Friday, January 26th, we saw two more over 60-plus point performances. We got Devin Booker scoring 62 points for the Phoenix Suns in a loss on the road in Indiana, where Indiana again beat one of the better teams in the NBA without their star player Tyrese Halliburton. First, they beat the, the Philadelphia 76ers by a wider margin, and then they beat the Phoenix Suns in a game which came down to the final shot a shot that was airballed by Devin Booker, a shot where he fell down on the play. And then you have the Mavericks in a game that was happening at the same exact time on the same exact day, on January 26th for the Mavericks, and Luka Doncic beat the Atlanta Hawks, Luka scoring 73 points. So Luka with the highest point total from the last few seasons. Last season, during the 2022-2023 NBA season, we saw... 71 points in a game twice, and that was the high point marker of the entire season. We saw Damian Lillard score 71 points in a blowout win against the Rockets, and we saw Donovan Mitchell score 71 points, but he did it in a game that went into overtime against the Chicago Bulls. Then, Luca and Damian Lillard each scored 60 points in victories, and Joel Embiid scored 59 points in a victory, and Devin Booker scored 58 points in a victory. There you have the six largest points scored in NBA games last season, and every single one of those came in a victory. So none of these guys who scored 58 points or more in a game, all six of them, not a a single one, resulted in a loss. But what we're seeing a little bit differently this season is the guys are scoring over 60 points in games, and they're not always amounting to victories. We already have Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker both drop 62 points in losses. And that that makes me start to think, when do these high point totals come back to bite you? And it comes back when you start to play differently, when you start to think about the points, and now you're serving two different purposes. You're serving the purpose of trying to win the game while simultaneously also trying to pad the stats and see how many points can X players score before the night's over. What's different about what Luka Doncic did scoring his 73 points is that he managed to do it in a way where he wasn't veering off from the way he typically plays the game, and the Dallas Mavericks weren't veering off from the way they typically play. So Luca happened to score more points than usual. He took a few more shots, but it wasn't affecting the team to the point where they were trying to get Luca the points to the extent that it was changing the way they play, and it made them serve two different purposes at the same time. Their goal was to win the ballgame, And I don't think it was a massive focus in Luka's mind that he was trying to score over 70 points in the game. That wasn't how it felt watching that game. Luka was able to come up with buckets the entire way through, but he was able to also find teammates. He was able to find Hardaway when he needed to. They were able to push the ball in transition when they needed to. And when the Dallas Mavericks are able to play good defense, that team becomes really, really tough. When they get stops and they go in transition, in addition to what Luka Doncic can do in the half court, They become a really, really tough team. And Trey Young did what he could. He tried to bring the Hawks back, and they really fought back to make it a five-point game by the end. But that game was really a wider margin throughout the entire fourth quarter than those five points. they, uh, They made a push at the end. But a phenomenal job by Luka, scoring the 73 and also getting the victory. Whereas for the Phoenix Suns, you had a game recently where the Suns played the Kings, and they were down by 22 points in the fourth quarter. And Kevin Durant pulled them all the way back with an absolutely heroic night. And he got the final shot of the game, which he scored. And it was a tough shot. It was a really tough shot coming off of a weird angle. And he had to adjust the way he was shooting the ball a little bit in midair. And, and he, he hit it. He scored the shot and they won the game. With like a second to go, they got the lead and then they got the stop for the victory. But last night, The final shot didn't go to Durant. The final shot went to Booker. And you'd have to think that it went to him because he already had 62 points in the game. And it was a game where, for a lot of the night, he was unconscious. He was able to rise up and just shoot over anyone who was defending him. So that had to play into account for why Devin Booker was the one shooting the final shot in the game. But you'd have to think maybe the game would have had a different outcome. Maybe they could have sent this one to overtime or maybe they could have won the game in regulation with a three if Kevin Durant was taking the final shot. And you are always going to have this dilemma at the end of the game when you have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on the same team. Who is going to take the final shot? You also have Bradley Beal on the team, but I think that the... The question would be between Booker and it would be between Durant. Those guys are a little bit above, they're a level above Bradley Beal. So for the final shot, it's Durant or it's Booker. And you would really say it should always be Durant, except Booker has had a longer influence on this team, a larger influence on this team for the long term. He's been a Phoenix Sun for way longer. But especially in a game where Booker scored 62 points, you would think that he deserves the right to have the final shot. The way the final possession ended up going down was Booker was standing inside. He ran, sprinted to the top of the key, a few feet beyond the three-point line. He tripped, he fell, got the inbounds, and then he tri- he had to stand up, and in a very wild final s- second and a half, two seconds, he managed to stand up and hoist up a shot that he airballed because he just it was a miracle that he even got the shot off. Frankly, if you watch the play, it's unclear if it was even a... It might have even been a travel, the way he stood up after falling down with the ball in his hands, standing up, and then dribbling, and then getting the shot off. In the stand-up, it's very hard. I tried to slow it down and watch it, but it's, tough, it's really tough to say if he even traveled on that play. But the, the play was really over when he fell down. At that point, it became a very low chance that Devin Booker was going to get off a makeable shot, or even get off a shot at all. He managed to get off the shot, but it was nowhere near where it needed to be. One of the reasons why it might make more sense to go to Durant is because, although Booker is a phenomenal player, if you need someone who's guaranteed to be able to get off a quality shot at the buzzer, Kevin Durant is one of the best players in history to do that. He's one of the tallest players ever, who's also one of the best shooters ever at his height. And you know that at a guy who's seven feet tall, he can rise up and get that shot off, where Booker may have to do more movement and risk something like what happened in this game where he fell down at the buzzer. Whereas Durant, you can inbound the ball to him with his back towards a defender, and he can turn around and rise up and shoot. So perhaps it would be a smarter move to go to Durant, but on the night where Booker scored 62, they went to Booker for the win, and came up short. The Suns lost for the first time in eight games. The seven-game win streak is no more. And the Pacers, incredibly, managed to win two games against two of the better teams in the league. Another problem with the Suns that I noticed when I was watching them live at Footprint Center is that there are stretches of the game where they can't rebound the ball. This is one of the biggest flaws with this current team. Nurkic misses a lot of rebounding opportunities, and the Pacers have a lot of big men who are tall and athletic, including Toppin, including Turner, and including uh, you know, a couple of other players on the team. who They're really, really tough inside. They're athletic and big. And they out-rebounded the Suns badly at the end of that game. On the shot that the Pacers took the lead on, they got three chances at the possession. They shot, missed, got the ball back, missed, got the ball back, and scored. That was a key factor coming down the stretch. It's really the biggest problem with the Phoenix Suns right now is they need to be completely committed on defense from the start of the game, and they need to rebound the basketball. And when they can rebound the basketball, they typically run away with the game. So you have Booker scoring 62 in a loss and you have Luka scoring 73 in a win. You also have the Clippers winning some more ballgames, the Thunder winning some more ballgames at the top of the Western Conference, the Grizzlies managing to secure more victories even though they're missing virtually their entire team. Jaron Jackson Jr. is showing that he's more than just a really good center. He's more than just a, a good stretch center who can shoot some threes. He can actually win ball games without Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson. Sorry, without Desmond Payne and without John Morant. So he's making a name for himself independently of the other stars on the team. And you have the Cleveland Cavaliers exacting their revenge on the Milwaukee Bucks. Cleveland had won eight games in a row before beating the Bucks. They had won eight games in a row, sorry, before the Bucks beat them, snapping their win streak. And then they got to go back and beat the Bucks with a 12-point victory. Another game without Mobley. Another game without Garland. And Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, able to get that one done. We saw the Knicks able to beat the Heat. We saw the Nuggets able to beat the 76ers in Denver. In another game in Denver where Philadelphia goes there and Joel Embiid, some, for some reason, doesn't play. He wasn't on the injury report. He wasn't stated to be injured. And everyone's wondering why didn't Joel Embiid play in the game? Embiid made a really big deal about going against Nikola Jokic on his home court in Philadelphia, where they beat the Nuggets. And then, for the second year in a row, when they go back to Denver, Embiid mysteriously misses the game. So, a lot of questions as to why that's the case. Why is Embiid not playing in these games? You have the Clippers continuing to be the hottest team in the league. They've been twenty-two and four in their last twenty-six ball games. So effectively they have been the number 1 team over the last 26 games and you have to wonder if the end of this result of the of the 2023-2024 NBA regular season is that the Clippers are going to be the one seed. Because the Clippers are currently sitting in third. They're a game and a half back from the first seed, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they're a half a game back of the second seed Timberwolves who are now starting to tailspin. So you'd have to think I mean, if, they, if the Clippers are able to maintain a pace even close to this, you'd have to assume that they are going to be the one seed by the end of it. The only one seemingly standing in their way would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, not necessarily is it even going to be that great for the Clippers to get a one seed. They could get a one seed and end up facing the Lakers in round one. They could get a one seed and end up facing the Warriors in round one. You know, or the winner whoever wins those play-in tournament games. So not necessarily is it even going to amount to that much for the Clippers, but it's a really realistic chance at this point that the Clippers could be the one seed in the Western Conference by the time this is all said and done. Really a, a, an unprecedented turnaround from the way that we thought that the Clippers were going, going to play with Harden after the Harden trade to where the Clippers are right now with the best record in the NBA over the last 26 games. You also have the Lakers with a double overtime victory against the Warriors in one of the best games of the season. This was an absolutely psychotic game where Steph Curry is still the greatest show on television. He scored 10 points in that double overtime. He had a couple of three-pointers to, to give the Warriors the, the, the lead back. And you have, down the stretch of that game, you have D'Angelo Russell just playing like an absolute psycho. He, t- he throws the ball away the first time. The Lakers get lucky. The ball gets tipped super, super high in the air. It ends up going back to Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis able to, to score the bucket anyway. On the following Lakers possession, D'Angelo Russell, again, the ball gets tipped up in the air, a turnover, a Warriors score. The, p- the, the possession after that, same thing. D'Angelo Russell turns the ball over again, resulting in a Warriors bucket. Now the Warriors are leading. And what happens? The Lakers get a stop, and they come down court, and in transition, D'Angelo Russell pulls up and takes a three-point shot before the entire team is even down court. And he hits it, giving the Lakers the victory, and they w- they wouldn't uh, rescind that. They wouldn't give up that lead again. Uh, actually, they did give up the lead. They, they scored. Then the Warriors scored back again and then LeBron James ended up... I forget the exact sequence of, the, of of exactly what happened, but the Lakers got the three-point shot with D'Angelo Russell. And then they ended up with the ball again, where LeBron drove to the basket and got fouled. And LeBron sunk both free throws. Warriors inbounded the ball. Steph Curry took a heave at it. And that was the ball game. Another absolutely crushing blow to the Warriors on a season where they can't seem to get anything right. Now, I would say that the Warriors have the nail in the coffin, but in the play-in tournament era, the Warriors are currently sitting in 12th in the West, and the Jazz are the 10th seed. The Warriors are only three games back from the Jazz, so at any point from now till the end of the season, if the Warriors string together three or four victories, they'll likely jump up a spot and then another 3 or 4 victories and they'll jump up the last spot. And they'll 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 play they'll be a play-in tournament team. So there's a very good chance the Warriors could still make the play-in tournament if they get Chris Paul back, string together a couple of victories. So in a normal season before the play-in tournament, yes, I would say this is completely the nail in the coffin for the Warriors and they're toast. But no, they're not toast because they have a shot at getting into the play-in and if they can win the two play-in games, and become the effectively what would be the new eighth seed, they're a live dog. Because as we can learn from watching what's happening in the NFL today, there's something to being in the big game a lot of times. And when you live in the big game, like the Kansas City Chiefs have been doing in the NFL, they've been living in the AFC Championship game for the last who knows how many years, and they've been living in Super Bowl games, they know how to play in these games. Their kicker knows how to kick in these games. Their punter knows how to punt in these games. Their quarterback knows how not to take sacks in these games. And they're very, very tough to beat just because they are familiar with operating under the bright lights to an extent that most teams are not familiar with. So can I definitively say the Warriors are done? No. Because they still have a shot with roughly you know, 35... 38 games left on the season where they are only three back of being a play-in-tournament team. And once you make it in, anything can happen. The Heat showed us that last season as an eighth seed. The the Miami Heat made it all the way to the NBA Finals and gave it a good run. Warriors could potentially do something similar. Then we have the San Antonio Spurs beating the Timberwolves 113-112. Another absolutely gut-wrenching Killer loss for Minnesota, where they continue to show that they don't know how to play with the final few minutes left in the fourth quarter, losing to the San Antonio Spurs, a really, really terrible loss. Timberwolves are in a tailspin. They managed to get the previous victory against Brooklyn, but they really could be on a 3-4 game losing streak right now if things hadn't bounced their way with missed foul shots. Timberwolves in a big struggle, and they are likely going to continue to drop from the two-seed in the Western Conference, down further and further. And we have the Kings beating the Mavericks in a game where the Kings look like the old Kings. And I continue to highlight how Kevin Herter is important to that team, a guy who can hit threes in transition. He can hit timely threes. That means so, so, so much. And complimenting De'Aaron Fox and and, uh, Malik Monk, that's really important. Sabonis had a good game, and you just saw the Kings handle the Mavericks. They just handled them. On the road in Dallas, they handled them. Currently, today, on January 28th, we have the Pistons, who beat the Thunder in a game. It's it's hard to imagine how that happened. Really hard to imagine it. But uh, a 16-point victory, Pistons beating the Thunder. And we have the Grizzlies currently facing off against the Pacers. We have a Raptors-Hawks game later today. We have the Suns trying to bounce back, going back-to-back back on the road, trying to bounce back from their loss last night. And they're trying to... <clears throat> Sorry, it wasn't back-to-back back because the th- the Suns lost on Friday. But the uh, the Suns are going to Orlando to face the Magic. The Magic are also coming off of a loss. So we'll see which team gets to bounce back with a win. Both teams need it. Both teams are right in the mix between the 4-6, the to 4-7 to seven range in uh, the East and in the West. And then you have the Bulls going to... Portland to face the Trailblazers. So, not too much crazy action going on. The Suns Magic game should be good. Uh, outside of that, not too much else to watch here in the NBA. We'll have another NFL game coming up later today uh, for all those who are interested in that. And again, this is NBAV, the NBAV podcast. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on uh, Amazon, Google, and all the other podcast networks, iHeartRadio. The website will be going up over the next uh, month or two. We have uh, the website to look forward to, the nbav.com website, N-B-A-V-E, and you can reach out to the show at nbavenue at yahoo.com. That's N-B-A-V-E-N-U-E at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on X, follow us on uh, Facebook at N-B-A-V or nbavenue, and we will catch you on the next one.